0: Well, look, today's a special one. We are doing a reverse interview. (laughs) So Gary Radford will be interviewing me. And the context of this is had a lot of people reaching out, wanting to know who is the host of the Rental Journal podcast. Who is Mark Simonson? And we thought, what better way to get one of the marketing gurus (laughs) in the industry to set this interview straight? So Gary, thank you for being the interviewer for me.
1: Uh, Well, first obvious question is... um, my observation and even speaking to you off camera historically is that you seem to have a pretty sincere passion for this industry and um, I know it's not just me saying this but people are finding that the podcast itself is adding value to the broader industry. How did you get involved with rental? What, what made you interested?
0: Yeah so growing up in Sydney, Australia, I all I was obsessed with was sport uh, growing up. Didn't really care too much about studying or whatnot. And finishing school, it was, hey, gonna study sports science or do something in that era. And I just needed a job. That's yep. all I cared about. So I had I worked at Target and John R. Turk and various uh, suppliers. And I wanted a job close to home. And this, this place was recruiting, which I had no idea what they did. Yep. And uh, I just applied. Like, you know, you would apply 50 jobs on Seek and just applied for all the ones that are close to where I am. And the company was called Baseplan. Okay. And so little did I know that this company provided software for the equipment rental industry. When I turned up to the interview, I didn't even know that they did that. I literally turned up <laughs> just saying, hey, I'm looking for a job. Uh, I want to be an account manager or an account executive, whatever my title was. And I didn't think I was going to get the job. Because like, I went there with no preparation at all. And there was these people applying that had actually account management experience. I came out of school. And so I, I, got, I, I got the job amazingly. And... I treated the first two years of that as just another job. I didn't really care. The level of understanding that I had, when they first started talking about plant hire, I thought they were talking about renting plants. (laughs) But so I did that and I didn't really care too much about the rental industry, as brutal as it sounds. All I cared about was getting paid my weekly check, coming home and then studying to do something at university. And there was a moment where... um, Andrew Ferry at the time said, stop studying and work full-time with baseball and, and plan your career. And I was like, why would I want a career? Like, I'm not saying this to him, but like, why would I want a career in this software and rental? Like, yep. I don't care about rental. I don't care about any, like, you know, like, brutally honest, like yep. that's all that's I thought about. I was like, I'm going to do stuff in sport, study sports science, maybe become a physio, whatever it might be. And he convinced me to stay on for an extra six months. And in that six months, I was given the Kennard's hire account to look um, after. And this is my second screw up that small I Small one to start with. Small one to start with. I wore a suit to my first <laughs> site visit with Ken Tyre I went there, I came back, Ken tire complained <laughs> to base <to pay laughs> plan on who this person was. And so that was the second thing to say, all right, well, Ken Artire doesn't want me. Uh, why should I stay in this 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 job, this industry? And that was almost like a bit of a flick. It, it, it almost triggered a moment where I want to convince Hire that I can do this job. And so from that point, I decided to dedicate as much of my knowledge to learning about Hire. Not learning about base plan, learning about hire. I think in the first 12 months, I visited probably half of their stores. I went up to Queensland, Western Australia, Victoria, New South Wales, visiting all of them. And I learned so much about the rental industry just by visiting these people and learning. And that was the moment where I was like, well, if I take all these learnings and apply it to my actual job, how much better would I be? And that was the first big change where it went from me not caring about my career in rental to me then focusing on on rental itself and understanding the challenges that businesses have. So that was really my first true introduction to rental. This podcast episode was sponsored by Boom & Bucket. I love that name. Such a good name for a company. Boom & Bucket. Boom and Bucket was started by two ex-Caterpillar employees and is the easiest way to buy and sell heavy equipment. If you're selling, Boom and Bucket will inspect, photograph, market and sell your machine so you can focus on your rental business. If you're looking for new equipment, Boom and Bucket has hundreds of inspected and guaranteed machines that you can browse and buy from right on your mobile phone. See why the average buyer gives Boom and Bucket a 9.5 out of 10 review. Check them out at boomandbucket.com.
1: Well, I think that most people watching her or in the rental industry would say that's the big gap that software providers have, whether it's an ERP or a CRM, is that there is quite a bit of nuance in rental and often the, the vendor doesn't really appreciate that.
0: So. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And there's, the part of it is is actually showing an interest in what the company is doing and for me, that, that was really the part where I'm going to go from being just an employee of a company to showing an interest in what this company is actually providing and understanding the problem. So
1: that was, that was really my
0: introduction and then my
1: career grew from base plan from there onwards. Okay. Um, Kennard is obviously a pretty good first client to be introduced to for a number of reasons. Obviously, you've got scale. Um, secondly, it's a, you know, a family-driven business with a, with a pretty traditional culture. Did you learn as much from how they operate as you learned about the rental industry itself from dealing with Kennards? Oh, for sure. So, the first thing that I realized when
0: I was dealing with Kennards is that they're more than just an organization. They actually believe, they believe in their values and their culture. And so, I was almost being mentored by the people on that side of the fence. I was going out, I got invited to like have dinner with their, some of these people's families. Like it was really like getting brought into that organisation because the moment they realised that I cared about what they did, uh, it, it made me realise that there's organisations out there that aren't just about profit and they're about making a difference in the world. And that's what I really learned about Ken Altai when I first joined that that as an account manager for their account.
1: Okay, well that's very interesting. And what about um, the rental industry it st- itself? Did anything strike you as different or, or strange or unusual from other industries you've dealt with?
0: Well, the first thing was that I, that the industry was so big. That was the first thing that I realized. <laughs> I was like, wait, there's actually a whole ecosystem. Like, Kianatai is just a, a general rental operation with 180 locations. You've got all these specialist locations. And Then what made me realize is that if I take my initiative of, of actually making a difference to learn about people and do that with other areas in generators or access or events or whatever it is then I can learn all these different types of things. And that was like the biggest eye-opener that you could go down to another business which is completely different to another sector within rental itself. And I just gained passion through
1: learning about the industry in Australia and then eventually the US as well. What I found, um, obviously I've been in and around the rental industry since I was a teenager and um, I've got to experience it as a customer and an employee and a business owner and, and also obviously as a supplier. Um, I've always found a lot of value in the perceptions from the outside in. So, as a, as a vendor to rental, what was your, um, what was your take? Like, what, what, did you, what did you pick up from an opportunity for an improvement point of view? What the industry does well? What was your perspective as an outsider? This podcast episode was sponsored by the Fleet Office.
0: Get away from paper documents and spreadsheets and become more compliant by using a cloud-based fleet management software save money by streamlining your higher business and understanding your fleet and utilization better create quotes invoices allocate equipment and operators to jobs and easily compare your projected income with your current invoices making you more profitable pre-starts risk assessments maintenance timesheets dockets and asset efficiency all managed on one easy to use platform Learn more at thefleetoffice.com.au. Yeah, so I think the the biggest thing that I saw was that depending on the size of the business was how much they were involved in optimizing their processes. So smaller businesses were just more about just getting the gear out and bringing it back as fast as possible. And as businesses got bigger, I realized that it's it's more about managing the right people within your organization. Because the classic example, everyone buys a JLG Scissor Lift. All the businesses have it, but then the way that they run their business makes them different in, the, in themselves, and so I realised that the businesses that that ch- trained their staff on how to actually operate as a culture and a stand and the standard within the group yep. were completely different to the ones that just said, "Yeah, we've got a scissor lift and we can rent it out, and that's it." You, that just,
1: was, you just lost your opportunity for a Genie sponsorship, by the way. So oh, really? <laughs> Genie's a good product if anyone's interested. All, it, all of them. <laughs> um, so. You've been in and around the industry for quite some time. You would have seen a few changes, and and once again, with your unique perspective as an outsider insider, what would have been the big trends that you've seen change over time within rental?
0: Yeah, so I think the the growing opportunity for uh, different diverse bits of gear within businesses, and so I think you saw the opportunity for businesses to actually learn from like the United States and bring those bits of gear into the country, and then diversify into different sectors. So not just being a general rental operation, but actually being able to have, if we use canetizers as an example, pump and power, lift and shift, the general rental, concrete care. So being able to diversify and then also change to more of like a, a hub setup rather than having locations everywhere, setting up hubs. So those are the, the two things that I think I've really seen change just even in my consulting period uh, while working with basepoint
1: Here's a question that I find is um, very useful for people in the rental industry if the vendor is prepared to answer honestly. Um, what's the hardest thing about dealing with rental as a, as a supplier, I guess? Um, I think it's the hardest
0: thing as a vendor. So I think the challenge most people face... So I'll use an example to explain my answer. Sure. Someone goes out and they spend $5 million on gear. They don't spend the time on the innovation and the technology side to help support the decisions they're making for that $5 million spend. Vendors come in to try and help those businesses, and they have a very small budget because they're, they are not—they know the utilisation in the back of their head. I think they know it off by heart, and they're growing, and I think... Once a business gets to that point, it's very hard to convince someone to change their mindset until the next generation or, or maybe someone comes in from another organization and said, oh, by the way, we can do things better. And so I think if there's people out there that run businesses like that, it is it is hard to change that mindset because they say it's always worked the way it is now.
1: Why do I need to do it the way you think is better? Sure. And you were in base plan for how long? So 12 years and I did... Uh, uh, Eleven
0: years in Australia and then one year in the US and that 's really where in the US when the rental journal became
1: a, a thing. That was my next question actually. When, when did the, the principle of the rental journal as a podcast sort of start seeding in your mind and what made you think it might be a good idea?
0: Yeah, so there was two significant moments that I think changed my career. So the first one was I was an account manager for many, many years dealing with Kennards and, and, and Onside and coats and a various amount of people. And there was a moment in my career, and I think I've learned this, that when people tell me I can't do something, it almost like sets a fire on under me. And someone told me that I would never be a salesperson.
1: Yeah. It's pretty low bar to keep going.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so so they told me that. Uh, and that was from the, the moment of like upselling products and stuff like that, and then selling to new business. So this person told me that I would never be a salesperson. and. There was two options. It was either I accept what they say yep. or I just ignore their opinion and then have my own destiny and I control it myself. And so I went through the latter and then I focused my complete focus on learning about the, the biggest challenges that businesses face and how to solve them through software and to sell in the reverse, not going in there and selling features and hey, is gonna solve this problem and whatnot actually understanding and spending so much time like almost focusing on all the problems that come up with solutions and almost like a pre-sales architecture and that changed my career again because i went from just doing branch tours around australia and just meeting greeting people to actually getting under the sheets with people and being that trusted advisor i would turn down people every week and this is a, a big thing people would come to me for software and i would tell them to go to point of rental or I would tell them to go to Inspire or MCS because I would say they're not a good fit. And they would be very confused. Why are you telling me to go to my competitor? And I would say to them, you don't have enough budget, you're not the right point in time, you're not the right fit without, with your solution. And that trust with the combination of me wanting to learn, change my direction for my career from a, an audience standpoint. I, I now had a huge network of people that saw me as like that trusted advisor
1: in the industry, which is very, very rare in sales. I totally agree, I think it's the key to sales. Um, and then, but focusing more on, I guess, the shift towards the podcast idea, um, it's it's an entrepreneurial thought, right? So so it, it's a little bit too simplistic to say you decided to, to start a podcast, you really made a decision to become an entrepreneur. And in my experience, entrepreneurialism is is like a disease once it cracks open in your mind, it just never leaves you alone. It haunts you until you make it happen. Can you remember how that kind of seed started to unfold and and got momentum and eventually became something? I don't know if you agree with this, but but in my experience is that once you have an idea like that, it gets away from you and you really can't stop it. You have to do it, otherwise you'll be unhappy, I guess.
0: Yeah, so I'll talk through the the process, what happened. I. I realized that I had a huge cast of of that networking, which I just spoke about. And at that point in time, I realized that I wanted to eventually have my own business. I wanted to like grow my own brand and build up something that I have control over and grow it into something like you mentioned and and get that addiction to being an entrepreneur. I didn't know what it was, but but I knew I had a big uh, amount of people that I could talk to. So I was like, let's just start with the basics and just interview people. Now at that point in time I was very nervous about getting behind a microphone. So I literally called up like five people and said, if I send you these questions, will you send me back answers and we're gonna publish them on a website? And people were like, sure, we can do that. So I, I did 30 interviews where I had the same questions written down and I created a company called The Rental Journal and people would write those answers answers, and I'd publish them on a website and it got to the point where I realized that people were actually reading the answers. Like the, the, one that, the trigger that got me was I'd interviewed someone from Sunbelt and I saw that there was uh, close to 250 clicks in like a day on this particular article. And I was like, people are actually reading what I'm writing. Like it, it blew my mind that I could actually just write <laughs> questions, yeah. get someone to fill them out and people would actually read it. And I thought, well, maybe this could be a business. And at the same time, I didn't know what that business was, but the person that really started this, his name is Paul Weaver. He's from Macinex. Uh, so Paul, Paul wanted to come on and as, as write an article, but I, he wanted to do it via Zoom, he wanted to say the answers and I was going to rewrite it. Uh, midway through, I was like, this is a podcast. We didn't even know that we'll do yeah. it a podcast. Yeah. And so at the time we'll call the rental journal and so we, we did the editing and it came in 12 minutes or 16 minutes. And that was the birth of our very first interview. And I think episode three was like Andy Kennard. We went from Paul and then <laughs> straight, to,
1: straight to the top with Andy. And then all the way down to Mark Snook eventually. Yeah, we, we got, we got Snooky in there and then, yeah. And then you know you're bottom out when you get to Gil Milton and then it's, <laughs> your career's over. It's back to, back to base plan. <laughs> that's
0: it. That's, that's, how, that's how the, the rental Journal... Was born, And there was, there was no preconceived thoughts around wanting to make money, wanting to like create a business going to change the world. It was like, I want to interview people and share their stories and actually just give back to the industry that's given me a career. Because if you go all the way back to the very beginning, those first two years where I didn't really give a shit about the industry, yeah. and you go today... I'm probably one of the most passionate people in the industry that wants to give back and I, I feel like there's been a build-up to this moment and now it's finally really starting to transpire into a
1: business that I can own. So just chasing that thought down the rabbit hole for a second um, what do you think is the value of a, a podcast like this in giving back to the industry what how does it help the industry in your view?
0: Yeah so there's, there's a few ways to it so the first one is we can just learn about someone's story. That, that's the 101 thing. So someone can tell their story and say, this is how I got in the industry. This is the business that I've built up or the roles that I've gone through and just sharing their experiences. But then I realized that you can interview two very similar businesses and they have very different stories. And so it's about educating others in the industry around how they've grown their business or their roles to then just give them some ideas. There might be that two minute glimpse of audio or video that they watch and it might give them an idea about what they want to do it might create an opportunity and a number of people reach out to my guests and say i listen to your podcast I think we can collaborate on something uh, and the third thing is which is a very passionate one is educating people outside of the industry letting them know that there is actually a, an industry for renting equipment and getting more people on there and we're, we're doing that because we're we're getting on LinkedIn and we're, we're, we're reaching people that in construction even or outside of the industry uh, that then learn about
1: the industry itself. With that in mind, um, so people you talk to outside the industry, what, what do you think is either the perception or are there any common misperceptions about the rental industry that you think, um, you know, people have this view of the industry, but it's really different? Or I think most people that are outside of the rental industry think it's easy.
0: They think it's just, what do you mean? You just put it out on rent and it goes out and you bring it back. They think it's like uh, renting a a video from VideoEasy or Blockbuster. But when you've got these high value assets, there's a lot of processes that are in place. Compliance, service history, getting things on site, uh, managing the rental rates, billing them accurately, um, managing like your 10 year services, all that sort of stuff that needs to come in here. Whether you're going to manufacture your goods and do capital preparation, all those things that most people outside of the industry have no idea about and so I think that's a big part that I want to try and educate and let people know it's more than just
1: renting a video from video easy and um, was there an interview along the way so far where you realized you were fully hooked like you found that it was something that is gonna gather momentum you're starting to enjoy it and you can really see the future of it so I don't think there's one set interview but I think
0: the moment that I started getting messages on LinkedIn from people I had no idea who they were saying, hey, uh, thanks for the podcast. I listened to it on the way to work. Or someone added me and going, hey, listen to the podcast on the weekend. And I was thinking, wait a second, like, this is actually giving back to the industry. And so I thought there is no other platform around the world that's putting content out consistently. So I thought, all right, to give back to the industry, I'm gonna release content every single week. Every single week, I'm gonna put out an interview from Australia or the US or Canada or New Zealand, wherever it is around the world. And I'm also gonna take those small clips and then put them on LinkedIn and share them every single day. And eventually that's gonna grow. And the moment that I started getting more people interested in in providing feedback, that's when I thought, I can actually do this full time. I can really put my passion towards this and grow this into something where I can give back to the industry and do something I love.
1: One thing I think people, especially in the Australian industry might be surprised about is how much traction the podcast gets overseas. Can you talk a bit about that? What are the other markets that you were surprised to pick up a lot of, a lot of listeners in and and feedback from?
0: Yeah. So the, the countries that listen to the podcast, which is is quite amazing is, is Australia, New Zealand, the U S Canada, the UK, Namibia in Africa. There's a big uh, Komatsu dealer over there that listen to a lot of it. Saudi Arabia, Costa Rica, Mexico, um, France, and all those countries that I just said, the podcast has been on Apple podcast charts at one point in time. Wow. Uh, so there's enough people listening to it in those areas. We're consistently on the charts in Australia and Canada uh, and New Zealand. Um, but th- there's businesses that, again, I've never heard of that reach out to me and say, hey, I love the podcast. And they're from like a small town in Kentucky. And so they they don't see me as an Australian, they see me as like this international podcast that's giving back, which is something I really wanna focus on. I wanna make sure that people realize that this isn't just like for Sydney or Queensland or, or Australia, this is for the world for
1: rental. And, and with the, I think something you, you probably have picked up without realizing it is you've got a fairly unique view of the industry internationally. Um, and, and obviously, even with your base plan background, working with different uh, rental companies in Australia, um, we always talk about how businesses are different and competitive dynamics, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. What would you say, or, or are there any traits or, or qualities that all people in rental tend to have? Is there a common theme that ties you together across organisations, across borders, across geographies? I think it's the, the really good rental businesses that I've seen globally,
0: not just in Australia, are the ones where the leaders of that organisation can paint a very clear picture and they can get their entire organisation across all divisions, sales, rental, service, parts, financials, to be all going in the same direction at once. It's very easy for the service division to tail off and hate the rental team because they're they're doing this and what that, doing that. So the, the, the leaders in, around the world that can do that have very similar qualities amongst countries. Um, and so I think there's a lot of learnings when you look at like a business like United Rentals or Kennard's Hire or whoever it might be or Coates. You can learn a lot from them uh, just from the way that they manage your employees and how they push forward. You can also learn a lot from the businesses that are doing bad or being the same way for a very long time
1: let's expand on that I'm sure that's something everyone would be interested in given your exposure to a lot of leaders in the industry um, what is leadership why does it matter what are the traits you've seen that are universally successful and, and what are the ones that might be less so or, or even perhaps a little bit toxic
0: yeah so I think it's from the interviews I've done calmness it seems to be a very big trait for leaders being able to like stand in the middle of chaos and not react Uh, and in that moment, making a decision and standing by that decision. In rental, things move pretty quick. You need to make decisions very, very quickly. And you can't stand around and, like, talk in a boardroom for, like, half a day about the decision. You need to make the decision and run with it. And you can make a bad decision, but as long as you make up for it and you you make sure that the team own that decision moving forward, I think that's probably the first big trait, being calm and resilient in, in chaos and being very clear around what the decisions you want. And then the second part of it is, is being able to attract great people to your organization that believe in your vision. And the only way you can do that is by having a leader in an organization that understands rental. I think it is hard for someone that comes outside of rental to then be a CEO of an organization that doesn't actually truly understand. I interviewed uh, uh, Cooper Equipment Rentals in in Canada and Doug Doherty is the CEO. He's been in rental since he was 10 years old, like a very, very young age through his family business. So now he's the CEO of one of the largest rental companies in Canada. He understands what it means to like wash the toilet when it comes back. He understands what it means for service and all that sort of stuff. So the leadership of, of being able to work through an organisation is a massive thing for rental as well.
1: Just to reinforce your point on that. So obviously I've gone in and out of the industry, worked as a supplier, as an employee, et cetera, et cetera. Um, when we have organizations that both sell and rent. We have a, a mantra that says, if we bring in a new salesperson, you can teach a rental guy to sell. You actually, it's very difficult to teach a sales guy to rent. It is. It has a lot of nuance about it.
0: Yeah, talking about that, I, I was chatting to a company in the US and they... <laughs> they, they were trying to combine the training for this uh, capital sales team uh, for, for dealers with rental and they were basically saying they're just going to train them the same way and they're going to be able to do it and they were wondering why the rental division was failing <laughs> and it was because they, they weren't really like embracing what it means to rent something how do you maintain a relationship with the person how do, you, how do you grow trust with that person once you sell the machine service does the rest of the sales because they just maintain it with renting, there's an ongoing relationship that you've got, got there. So that's something that I think I truly agree with. You can't just have the same sales training for both, for both divisions.
1: I think you're onto something there that um, rental is literally a service industry. It's, it's not about a product, it's about a customer. It's about, um, it's really about not failing, right? The, the customer doesn't really want a whole bunch of vibe shafts and helicopters. They wanna make sure that their job doesn't get held up. Um, given your exposure to the industry and particularly your software background, what do you think will be the next evolution for the rental industry? Do you think it will go down the, the uh, aggregation path? Do you think it will go down the big data path? Um, what, what do you think is the future?
0: Yeah, so I think you should take the trends of the really big companies and what they're doing. I think United Rentals is is really far ahead when it comes to like some of the innovations that they're doing. So a classic example of around thinking outside the box is a lot of companies are scared to tell their end customer what the true utilization is of that asset. Is it running 90% or is it running 10%? If it's running 10%, maybe you shouldn't be renting it, bring it back. We'll give you a smaller machine. What Whatever the scenario is. And so I think there's going to be companies around the world that use technology to enforce and improve the relationships that they have with their customers, but it's going to mean there's going to need to be more transparency. And so I think some companies they're going to be held back because they think that they're going to lose revenue. But the ones that put that aside and realize, no, but we're going to improve our customer satisfaction, our customer journey, it'll completely change the industry, whether it's renting online, whether it's being able to see where my asset is and what the utilization is, whether it's being able to off-hire something, off rent something in the field, whether it's about getting deliveries via text messages to know, hey, your gear's just around the corner, all the stuff that you can build on an ecosystem of of your technology will change the way that you interact with your customer. And the ones that don't embrace that, that's fine, but they won't be moving ahead in the
1: next 10, 20 years. They'll be just sort of in the background. Speaking of the future. Um how do you see the the rental or today it's the Radford Journal obviously because I'm interviewing you but how do you see the future of the podcast going do you think you'll stay focused on rental will you broaden out a little bit more will you have separate brands to to look at different industries and kind of lift what you've done there or do you think there's still a lot more to go within rental
0: yeah so the plan at the moment is as you can see we're doing video now Is to run video for probably six months or so and see the transaction, the the, the the traction we get from that. Sorry, to see how it grows and really improve to make sure that we're giving the best possible content out to the to the end consumers. Once that grows, there it it turns into a. The rental journal might end up becoming more of like a marketing agency potentially, because we've got the skills now to actually build content, and one of the biggest challenges that most businesses have is they can't create content sure and so uh, there could be an avenue where we start going on the content management side for for a marketing side. we might continue to grow overseas to more in-person podcast overseas um, and eventually as you mentioned it uh, there's an opportunity maybe to like diversify and maybe have a, a focus on construction or whatever it might be as, a, as another niche market uh, rather than just rental really just want to take small steps And this is something that I've learned on the way as well. When I first started The Rental Journal, I wanted the results, everything. I wanted to know the progress constantly. Taking those, like actually saying, oh, we're going to take six months to look at how video goes and not rush it, completely changes your perception on how something might be a success or not because you've actually got the data to make the decisions. So that's what we're really focused on.
1: Um, I'm interested in your perspective as an entrepreneur in general, who's literally gotten to a point where you're, building a a livelihood out of your own sweat and effort what's your advice to other people who want to go out on their own not necessarily just to do a podcast but the people that are sitting around umming and ahhing they've got that entrepreneurial itch in the back of their brain they're feeling a bit scared they're a bit nervous um what, what would you say to them so i would say the biggest skill that i've gained in the past 10
0: years is networking I didn't know what networking meant. I thought networking meant going to a trade show, standing at a booth, <laughs> handing out flyers when someone <laughs> walked past. And I hated that. I hate trade shows. Not to put down the trade shows. I, I like, at heart, I'm an introvert. I don't like lots of people around me and, and that sort of thing. So I always am, like, pretty awkward at trade shows, uh, just being honest. Like, I, I don't like that environment. And so whenever I used to hear the word networking, I thought, oh geez, now I have to go to another trade show and, <laughs> and do this awkward thing. We walk around and shake hands and, yeah. and like just say, we're gonna do something and, and sort of just never see that person ever again. And then I realized one day that networking is actually just chatting to people in the industry and it could be one-on-one and just sharing your perspective. And so I started just talking to more people, like taking the time in the week to talk to more people, whether it be through the rental journal or not, and I would do like, like I would try and talk to three, four five people in a week, even just on zoom, just hey, I just want to learn about what you're doing, where have you come from, and I just want to share some ideas of what I'm working on I've spoke to many've spoken to you many times about the rental journal just to get your advice, and that one, once you understand that that's networking, business ideas come from that because you share an idea with somebody and they say. Oh yep, there's a real gap when it comes to uh, I don't know, whatever the, the gap is in that person's business process. And you think, wait a second, am I passionate about that? Do I care about solving that problem? Do I think I can make a difference? You ask enough people the same question and then you just need to back yourself and then slowly start chipping away at it. That's how you start a business.
1: So that's the how. What about the the vulnerable bit? What about the fear? The what if I stuff it all up? What if I embarrass myself? What if I go broke? What if I can never get a job again? How do you cross that gap? How did you decide to do this full time? I guess as a bit of inspiration to other people who are, like I said, they've got that entrepreneurial itch and they're just not sure. How do you how do you overcome that trepidation? So, when
0: I first started the Rental Journal podcast, I was very judgmental on myself. It was very hard, and this is quite embarrassing, but it's it's quite funny now I can say it. So the first 10 episodes, I would re-record my audio. (laughs) Re-record my audio. I would edit it and I would post in the editing, speak into the microphone and say what I already said, but just again to make it sound better because I thought it wasn't good enough. Now, if you take that same approach to everything you do, you're going to be held back. You can't actually achieve anything because you're constantly critiquing yourself. And so part of it is as i said before with a leader making a decision and not worrying too much about the quality to a certain depend it needs to just be good enough to start off with and then you can grow and get better and you can employ people to then do what you're doing there to make it even better then you can grow it even more to then where you have more time on your hands and you can think more strategically i i constantly am thinking about how i can innovate and and make it better and not focusing too much on why it's going to fail if I'm constantly thinking it's going to fail, or I think the content isn't very good, of course it's going to fail. If you're starting a business and you're constantly thinking that you're, you're going to fail and, and it's not good enough, of course you're going to struggle. So I think you got to, the first thing is you've got to get out of your own head. Get out of your own head. And the best way you can do that is by doing something and getting feedback and actually people saying, oh, what
1: you're doing is good. Getting reinforcement, I think, and just believing more in yourself. And, and I guess with that in mind... Um, what would you say is the biggest thing you've learned about yourself since you started doing this? That's a good one.
0: Um, Learned about myself. So, a skill that I, I didn't realize that I had until I started the podcast is being able to actually listen to what someone is saying is saying. And I've actually done a lot of studies on this as well. I feel like when you're nervous and you're talking to somebody, you pretty much just want to get out of that conversation as fast as possible. (laughs) Like you, you almost like want to script your answers and just stop talking. And I think a lot of people struggle with just having real conversations and Something that I realize is because I like the rental industry and I enjoy when someone tells me their story, I genuinely listen to what they say and I mentally make a note there and I want to talk about it more. And so taking those things into like other parts of your life means that you can actually have more impactful conversations with anyone, not just a podcast. You can literally be at the grocery store you can be with your wife, your, your kids, whatever it is. And so... Just those, this, the ability to think more strategically around a conversation and not be nervous around the engagement and wanting to get out as soon as possible. I think most people are pretty bad at conversations.
1: I agree. I think it takes a lot of practice. Um, look, as you said, I have had many discussions with you about this in general, and I, and I think you're right that you are an interesting character in this, in this um in this field because you are naturally an introvert. I think that's part of the appeal. I think people can feel that you're sincere. I can say categorically talking to you not on a podcast that I think you have a sincere um, desire to make the industry better. And the flip side of that is sometimes that pathological humility can hold you back from some of the opportunities you go for. So it's that introverts dilemma. So I guess in front of everyone now, what are you most proud of about this? So I think the thing that I'm
0: most proud of is when I first started The Rental Journal, I didn't tell many people about it. I just interviewed the people and I put it on online. As soon as I started doing the podcast, it was on Spotify. I couldn't hide it. Like it was out in the public. Uh, people, people know it's there. And I would probably say most people would criticize me and say why are you doing this like you're wasting your time you're not making money from this like wh- why would you spend like a copious amount because at the beginning I was I was spending a lot of time I'm working 40 hours a week at base plan, and I was probably spending 25 30 hours a week on this a, l- a lot of time was going into it and people were saying you're, you're putting content out every single week for what the rental industry is a small market you're gonna run out of people to interview people don't care about the content you're just sharing someone's story. All these things were constantly getting put to me. Every now and then there'll be a positive person that would come along and go, thank you for what you're doing. And get linked, And those little LinkedIn messages would like spark the confidence again. You'd go, shit, you know what this, like maybe I should keep doing it. And I would, I would talk to my wife about it and she would just say to me like, who cares what anyone thinks? Like if you're enjoying doing it, just keep growing it. And the fact that it is now at the point where it's generating enough revenue to give me a full-time job is something that i'm most proud of the fact that i can ignore all the people that were putting me down and saying what's the point i'm talking people that I'm, I'm pretty close with as well um to now where it's yeah i can employ people
1: I can be my own business and i control my own destiny and i think that's something that i'm very very proud of well i think i speak for everyone who listens to the podcast regularly and now gets to see the video Um, And I do think you're adding genuine value to the industry. I know a lot of other people talk about that with me as well. And I'd like you to um, keep doing what you're doing. And with that in mind, um, I'd like to thank you for joining me on the the Radford Journal today. (laughs) The Radford Journal. And keep doing what you're doing. This podcast episode was brought to you by our premier partner, Ken Artsy.